This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Only really one place to start. Day four of the Tour de France. We were discussing it in the office with the big boss man a little earlier. He is a keen cyclist. And, well, it was Caleb Ewan flying the flag for Australia yesterday. He won a dazzling sprint finish. Have we got a conclusion to today's stage four, Rob? I don't think we've got a winner just yet. There are two kilometres of descent before roads start to kick up towards the finish, which is in orsier Mallet. And I don't actually have a leader for you as things stand, but I believe that that breakaway pack of six riders have been swallowed up by the peloton. So I think it's just going to be a case of the uh, the mountain goats, so to speak, <laughs> Very good. just pushing on. Yeah. Uh, Chris Nealens is the first man over the summit of the penultimate climb, the Category 3 Cote de Saint-Leger-les-Malaises. And he's won two King of the Mountain points, but the Latvian is focused on getting a stage win and as as i say we're we're going on a downhill route for 2 kilometers which they're going to gobble up in a matter of the next couple of minutes yep. and then so begins uh, an ascent to the the summit Orsier Merlet this is the first summit finish of this year's tour and Julian Alaphilippe is in the yellow jersey Adam Yates Britain's Adam Yates is second he's 4 seconds back in second place and uh, yeah, it's all uh, very finely poised. Yep. It's a very different shake-up this year with the Tour de France obviously being um, postponed and also lacking the likes of Chris Froome who've dominated so many of the recent Guy editions well. of the, the Tour de France. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know Egan Bernal, the defending champion, is, is racing, but uh, some, of the, some of the dominating figures that have been... So, so at the forefront of uh, cycling in these last few years are not present. Yeah, we saw Peter Sagan as well, a man who is bidding to win a record-extending eighth Green Points jersey this year. He finished fifth yesterday. Former, of course, three-time world champion is Peter Sagan, who is the rock star in a lot of ways of cycling the Slovakian. Not having, not having the finish, I think, we expected from him yesterday, although Caleb Ewan, who was a three-time uh, stage winner last year in his debut, winning a fourth-stage victory yesterday and in Impressive finish over that last 50 metres. Any cyclists out there who I'm sure were tuned in to that finale would agree Caleb Ewan is very much a superstar. So he is the 26-year-old from down under. So we await with interest the finale to stage four. That is the 2020 Tour de France. A little later this evening, you've got England-Pakistan, the third T20. Of course, England lead that particular series 1-0, heading into the third and final T20. And I guess the big news, Rob, the US Open, we talked about it at length, finally got underway last night, the wee small hours. You said it at the top, Novak Djokovic safely through. Uh, Karolina Pliskova, the top seed on the women's side, safely through. I guess the biggest casualty, and she's still a young girl making her way, I say big casualty, Coco Goff, you're going to have peaks and troughs being a, a young lady making your way on tour. But a shock nonetheless, given the fact that a lot of uh, Americans, I'm sure, were hoping that she would go deep in this particular tournament. Yeah, but she was undone by a very good player in Savastova, yeah. who... Uh, the Latvian has had a good track record at the US Open. And yeah, you forget that she is what? Seven, six, six, she's still 16. 16. She's 16. <laughs> that, that in itself, she's going to have those moments where things don't go her way. She's that young, she's mm. that inexperienced, and she's still very much learning her craft. So I don't think it's a shock, personally. I think what is a shock is her advancing into the 
middle to latter stages of, of tournaments, which he's young. done in the past, yeah. which is incredible. But yeah, uh, you're going to see upsets. That's just the nature of Grand Slam tennis. Well, we've, we've been surmising, we've been speculating somewhat that this kind of weird and environment, if you will, and atmosphere around this particular tournament may lead to more shocks. Naomi Osaka... Uh, two-time winner she was pushed uh, two-time winner no she's won the US Open and Australian Open she was pushed all the way she was pushed to three sets ultimately she did come through she'll be better for that and Novak Djokovic an easy 6-1-6-4-6-1 victory for him and of course it goes without saying he is the man to beat over the course of this next fortnight oh, yeah, I just I, I fail oh. to see anyone capable of beating him over best of five in that in that field I honestly Dominic team pushed him close yeah, you're at right. the Australian you'd, Open. Yeah, you'd have to be hell of a inspired. Over three sets, yeah, maybe a sit to pass, maybe a team, but yeah, maybe you're right, over five sets. Well, he's I been mean, there, done it, right? It's, 17 uh, times. The, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. He's just absolutely dominated the Grand Slam scene. I know Rafa's had his success moments. I know Roger has won a few of late as well, but, but Novak really has. I think Novak's won, what, six out of the last ten? And not only that, and this is staggering, well, I say it's staggering, we've been off for five months, but he's now 24-0 in 2020. 24 matches, 24 wins, he is still unbeaten this calendar year. He was part of the Serbia side, of course, that won the inaugural ATP Cup, he won the Australian Open, his 17th Grand Slam, he then came to Dubai and won the Dubai Judo Free Tennis Championship. He then won, of course, last week, the Western and Southern Open over in Cincinnati. He is the man on form, and you'd have to be, well, braver than most. Yeah, to bet against him. I think it, it, it's the only wild card. Really, is the conditions and the very bizarre circumstances of the tournament. But I think we've seen in golf, the, the, the cream still rises to the top. The best players still come to the fore. We saw that with Dustin Johnson's big win John last Rahm. weekend. John Rahm beating Dustin Johnson in a playoff to win the BMW Championship as well. It's the names you'd expect to be up there, whether there's a crowd or not. Yeah. And yeah, Djokovic off the back of a great win, the Cincy Tennis Open, which was held in New York. Yeah, bizarre just, that, right? I failed to see, and I've said this a lot, and he has sometimes tripped up, but I just don't see how anyone's going to beat him over best of five sets. Yeah, that will be an 18th Grand Slam if he does indeed win at the end of this fortnight. Before we go anywhere else, so we announced it last night, our Fantasy Premier League League. It's live, off script, extra times. We butchered... The joining code last night, so much so I went away, I researched it, we're back, we're better, we're bolder than ever. Over to you, Rob. Right, this is in NATO's phonetic alphabet, and I can tell you the code. Six simple letters. Z for Zulu, V for Victor, G for Golf, Q for Quebec, D for Delta, Q for Quebec. <laughs> Quebec. <laughs> I love it. Got so close. Oh, so close. That is ZVG. QDQ. Yeah, do join said league if you are one of those individuals, and we know many of you are. You do enjoy a little bit of fantasy football. It just keeps the Premier League interesting. And, uh, and, and interesting. for non-fans like myself, for, yeah. as in for, for neutrals like myself, I should say, I'm a fan of football, just don't have a team that I've pinned my colours to. Fantasy football is my supporting team. That's sure, the team I support. Yeah, it's your outlet. So if, you know, I've picked, if I've gone rogue... You know, for example, if I picked a Callum Wilson yeah. or someone of that triple ilk. Triple captain. Yeah, no, I haven't triple captained him. Or if I've got Matt Doherty. Oh, yeah, like him. Um, of course, formerly at Wolves, but, you know, I'd always keep an eye out. If Wolves were, <laughs> you know, away to Brighton on a Monday night, that would give me extra reason, bit of pep in my step, to tune in to yeah. see. It's amazing, that. <laughs> 
It's amazing what fantasy football does. You find yourself cheating individuals that you should not <laughs> yeah. in any way, shape or form be cheating. And I have hate to admit it. Have you ever had a, a, a crisis or have you ever had a player who has, has been playing this. against Manchester, who has scored, you've got him in your fantasy team and he's scored against United? Yes. You've had that? Yeah, I've had it numerous times, Rob. I've never celebrated. I've always slumped in my chair and then I've shrugged their shoulders and I've went, you know what I'm about to say. Well, at least I've got some fantasy points. So that's that, that's what it you does. Quietly, to you. you you smile inside when that happens. I'm no, sure. never, never, ever, ever. Man United victories over any points in fantasy. But yeah, it's the it's the silver lining, the sliver of a silver lining. Speaking of Man United, yeah, and uh, and Donny Van der Beek. Now I'm reading a headline which is attributed to Robin Van Persie, former Arsenal and Manchester United striker. This is in the Mail Online, and uh, he says that Donny must mentally adjust to being at Man United because it is in every way a beast of a club, says Robin Van Persie. I think he's on the payroll as Robin, but he's right. Listen, I think Man United could benefit from just taking it down a little bit, you know? I mean, you can. You can. You You can, can. because it's that very mentality that is keeping them in quicksand. No, it's by you saying they need to tame it down to take it down that is the beginning of the Delusions of grandeur. United need to develop the attitude of winners again. Yeah. And, and by by just flatly regarding themselves as a beast of a club, that's not going to help them do but, it. But they are. They are a beast of a club. And yeah, I'm they're a beast of that. a commercial unit. They're not much of a beast of a football nah, team. They are a beast of a club. Patrice Evra said it, and, he, and he's absolutely right. And I think this goes for all clubs, but you know, certainly for Real Madrid and a, and a Man United, certainly, defeat is a crisis. We know newspapers and the way publications work and there's an awful lot of them out there called the Daily United. There's reason for that. It's because it gets clicks. I hate to say it. It's The reason there's 20-odd Man United articles is because those articles get clicks. And at Man United, a defeat is a crisis. You know the journalists will be sharpening their pencils on a, on a Monday or on a Sunday morning, a Monday morning after defeat. And, is it really a crisis? Yeah, it is. Seven years after they were last champions? It still is. It's still big news. I think honestly, any any anybody would tell you that if if any of the the big teams in England lost lose on a Saturday, the biggest is I still think it is United. Yeah, it's, and it's I, I feel like that. You see, Man United are now entering this period where, if they're not careful, that they'll they'll echo what Liverpool did and go thirty years without winning. Potentially, yeah. I'm absolutely. just saying that you know one mistake after another, that there's no. There's no divine right for United to win the Premier League again. No, no divine right for anyone. And I no. do feel like, I'm, I'm only saying this is a, a headline taken just in isolation, but I do feel that, that it's consistent with people around the club. Dwight York has said sort of similar sort of stuff to us. I know <clears throat> Andy Cole says these kind of things. When Gary Neville makes his remarks as a pundit, he often puts United on this pedestal because of their past achievements. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the, the, the pundits and the, the high-profile individuals, Peter Schmeichel being another one, associated with the club, don't do it any favours. Because right now it's in, a, it's in a hole, it's in a rut. Now it's, it's starting to come out of that rut, but this, 
this sort of delusion of grandeur. I don't think it's necessarily a delusion of grandeur, Rob. I think Robin Van Persie there, and again, it's a headline. I've not read the, the quotes, but but what he's saying is, and it's and it's fact with the greatest of respects to Ajax, it's it's a different. It is a different animal. Man United, and I think what he's saying to Donny is, you will quickly realise when you join that football club. And of course, we've never played for the football club, so we don't know what it's like day to day. But I think Patrice Sevra, who is well, a very articulate is, man, yeah, I agree. But I think Man United could benefit from a from almost like a a Jose Mourinho mentality now. Like no, a, I disagree. A I small. Disagree with that. I, I not a small club. I, I, what? So that top four is acceptable? No, that's, that's the Arsenal no, mantra. No, 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 Man no, no, United no. still in the aim to be champions. And as soon as you start, what? I'm not saying that. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying they could benefit from, you know, the kind of humility that Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool showed to get back to where they got to. I, I think, think this, uh, this, 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 this lazy suggestion that United are this beast of a club, it, it annoys me. Because it's like, well, no, they're not. They haven't won the title in seven years. They've been underachieving for seven years now. Is that going to stop with Solskjaer at the helm? Maybe. Maybe they're moving in the right direction. But it's the hunger to sort of to just go about their business. And I think he's got it, Oli. That's one thing that I would, I would certainly not level against Oli. That, that I think there is a humility with Oli. There's no, in fact, there's no doubt in my mind. There's a humility about Ollie. That's one thing that I, I can doff my cap to him. And you know, you're absolutely right. It's been seven years since they won the league title. But there's still no doubt in my mind. It is still a beast of a football club. And I think what Robin is saying there, and again, we take it literal, is saying, Donny, just be mindful that you're now moving into a big club where the expectation and the demands are so great that you've got to be on it. You've got to be on it every Saturday. And that is the the standards, the benchmark that is set in that football club. And that's what Ollie's trying to do. With regards to Manchester, Lionel Messi, that is the big one. Donny van der Beek, incidentally, we're expecting that deal to be done any moment. He did take his medical over in the Netherlands, a £40 million deal from Ajax for the 23-year-old Dutch international. Five-year deal expected to be inked. Kay Havertz as well, the young 21-year-old German. He's expected to seal his move to Chelsea. And they're spending, Rob. I mean, Roman Abramovich, oh. my goodness. He fancies it again. Yeah, where has this come from? I mean, it's incredible. And there's a man who will be. I mean, listen, Frank and a lot of Chelsea First fans all, have said nothing bad about him. He had a good season last season, Frank pressure this year after that level of spending no doubt about that yeah Timo Werner for 50 million Ben Chilwell Hakim Ziyech Thiago Silva Malang Saar I know Thiago came on a free transfer from PSG obviously Kai Havertz incoming from Bayer Leverkusen suddenly that makes you think hang on a minute we're talking about aspirations to win the title no doubt about it that's the level of investment whereby right now you're looking at pushing 300 million pounds that's 1.5 billion dirhams. You're looking at, right now, Abramovich wants more titles. Yeah, he does. And, and if no Frank Lampard finds himself in third or fourth position after five or six games, he'll be under immense pressure. Yeah, they need a good start. I think it will take some time to bed them in, but there, <laughs> there is no doubt. And listen, Frank... You've seen in his career, we've spoken to people who have worked closely with Frank, John Terry, Harry Redknapp, he's an ambitious guy. And when you look at his career, he is very much someone who wrung every ounce of talent that he had. He worked awfully hard. He worked harder than most did Frank Lampard to get what he is. You're absolutely right there. He's there to be shot at next season with this level of investment. That all being said, I've got to say there isn't one bad signing in there. Big fan of Timo Werner, big fan of Ben Chilwell, although a few uh, observers have pointed out to me, is he really an advancement? 
on Marcus Alonso. Is he really worth spending fifty million for? Good player though. I, I do like Ben. But when you've got Marcus Alonso, who I know is questionable defensively, I actually think Ben Chilwell has got one or two question marks defensively. Going forward, wonderful. Ziek, I'm a fan of. Kay Havertz, though, has the potential to be the one. He is the one that if I'm a Chelsea fan, I am going a little bit gaga over. So I am. Chelsea looking very exciting in the transfer market at the very least. We're expecting Arsenal to complete the signing of Gabriel. 27 million from Lille, the Brazilian centre half. That's another exciting signing. So there's money being spent, despite the fact it's COVID-19, despite the fact that we thought, oh, there won't be much money spent. There's plenty of it and there's going to be a lot more spent. Man United are still going to be busy. I expect Liverpool to do one or two bits of business. They've not got the cash that perhaps the others do. And then, of course, the big one, Lionel Messi, that meeting tomorrow. It's a biggie. And I'm speaking at one or two in the, in, in the game that believe that a deal ultimately will be done. And it could be Angelino and Eric Garcia. Angelino spent last season on Barca don't refuse to do swaps. No, they've done them in the past. Latan and Etu, famously, of course. Uh, and I see that maybe being... Listen, Barca need to save face. Does Messi leave on, on a free? No, he doesn't. Do Man City spend 700-odd million euros to get him out of the release clause? No, they don't. Will there be a meeting in the middle? Ultimately, if Messi is, is set on this, then I think that's what will happen. Eric Garcia, Angelino, and maybe 100 mil. Save face with that. That's what Juve spent, roughly, on Ronnie. Barca get that. They get two players. Messi gets his two-year deal at City. And then the world will really go into meltdown. Messi at City. Then what next for Barcelona? Oy, oy, oy. Coutinho gets integrated. Griezmann's made more of a a fuss over. Talk about a fall from grace, though. Yeah, I know. And where do La Liga go from that? I mean, they've already had a fall from grace, really. But the time being, though, I want to come back to all things local football and grassroots at that. Because, uh, well, joining us live on the line is Chris Brown, Dubai resident, long-time Dubai resident as well, football coach, extraordinaire and a man that used to entertain us yeah, on a Monday night. Yeah, I feel night. like his career has never quite hit the heights of his regular spots on Monday night football, but oh, there's the always hope days. for the future, Brownie. The good old days, Brownie. Welcome to the show, my man. How are you? <laughs> good evening, chaps. How are we? I'm yeah. well, thank you. Those were the glory years, weren't they? They were, mate. They were, you know, but they're long forgotten now. <laughs> long forgotten. No, they're not. We still dream of those days. Fingers crossed those days will come back, Brownie. But listen, enough of us reminiscing about the glory and the good old days because, uh, well, time does move on. And, well, you've got an exciting announcement to make because you've been doing the rounds in the last couple of days. You've been on television. You've been in newspapers. You're now on national radio. And, well, you're going large is what you're going. You are... Well, you're, you've got grand designs on becoming one of the proprietors of, let's be frank, one of the leading youth football tournaments in the world. Yeah, I mean, there's no getting away from that, Chris. Of There's big plans. Um, it's been a, a dream and aspiration of mine for some time. Um, having been a young player and come through some very good tournaments um, and then going into coaching and taking teams from the UAE to tournaments basically all over Europe, the big the big ones in Scandinavia, um, you know, the Goffia Cup, the Dana Cup in Denmark, uh, Helsinki, being over to Germany, being over to England a number of times. So no, I just think it's it's a tournament that and one the one point about this tournament is that yes, we're gonna have some big clubs from across the world, um, professional teams, but the stipulation is that, you know, sixty four teams, thirty two of them will be from this region. So um, you know, we're given the opportunity to um, not only the you know the professional UAE pro league clubs, um, we'll have a few of them in there, but also the um, the private academies as well. So we're integrating that too. 
And give us a timeline, if you can, Brownie. What, how, how is this going to play out over the course of the next sort of six to eight months? Well, at the moment, I mean, we've got eight top pro uh, clubs. So we've got Leicester City, Middlesbrough, Stoke City from England confirmed. I've had an email from Liverpool just to say that they're at the minute they're not travelling, but they're very much interested in it. Birmingham City said I'll, I'll receive it, uh, an email shortly. Um, PSV Eindhoven, um, obviously from Holland, Club Bruges from Belgium. Shamrock Rovers from Ireland, Rangers uh, and Dundee United from Scotland. Uh, we've got a Gambia national team, a professional team from Nigeria, um, and then speaking to people literally all over the world as well. It's exciting times is what it is, Brownie, because you've, you've mentioned there the Gothia Cup. It's become very much a staple up in Sweden, a monster of a youth footballing festival. The Milk Cup as well is one that will, I'm sure, resonate with a lot of our listeners over in Ireland. But this Mina Cup, and let's get to this because it is entitled the Mina Cup, the inaugural event. Now, you are looking to, to launch this early next year, late March of 2021. I'm looking at four age categories, under 12s, under 14s, under 16s and under 18s give us an idea kind of what it will look like and I guess for our listeners an opportunity for them to pop on down and be in the sidelines and perhaps of tomorrow yeah when you look at those tournaments the tournaments you've mentioned there so I played in the Milk Cup as a 16 year old um, we lost to Tottenham in the semi-finals and they had Peter Crouch and Deadly King lost in the third place playoff against Borussia Dortmund but you know other than a fantastic experience on the pitch off the pitch it was amazing yeah. um you know, we had it's it's across five towns in in Northern Ireland, but you have a um, all the teams meet and you have a parade through the streets and everyone comes out on the streets and you go into the stadium. You have the opening ceremony, the um the opening ceremony at the Ulvae Stadium in in Goth, uh, Gothia Cup. It's, it's like the Olympics. You know, there's forty three thousand people there. Wow. There's fireworks. It's unbelievable. And they're the you know that's the experience we want to create for the players that play in it. Um, and I. People who've played, anyone I ever speak to who've played in tournaments like that, they just don't forget it for the rest of their lives, whether they've been a, a top professional footballer, which many of them have. You look at the, the, the Milk Cup, which is now the Northern Ireland Super Cup. Um, you know, Marcus Rashford, Greenwood are just the, the latest graduates that have come through that. But to, to, to those, you know, people who are just, just everyday people now, um, they've just got fantastic memories. And, and that's what we're looking to create. And, in a, in a city like Dubai, in a country like the UAE, we have everything here. We've, we've got fantastic facilities, brilliant accommodation. Um, you know, we, the, the cultural side of it, we're going to the Burj Khalifa, into the desert. It's, you know, it's a no-brainer for me. But we must make sure that we, we give that experience to the players who are here as well. How much of a representation, Brownie, do you anticipate from the Arabian Gulf League clubs? I know you've spoken to a couple of them. But is this something where you're conscious of of having that regional representation, or is this very much of an, an international kind of outlook? No, I mean I've spoken to to our water of confirmed obviously from Abu Dhabi. Um, I've been in touch with Sharjah, um, and they're they're keen to do it. I just need to send across a letter, and also being in touch with the Dubai clubs, obviously. But um, to be honest, I've been so busy with the the outside, the international clubs. Um, for me, the, the in all honesty, is the, the clubs here are probably easier to, to recruit rather than the international yeah. clubs. So the focus has been on that. And then leading up to, like you said about the timeline, um, this next month for me, I, I want the, 
the competition full 64 teams done by the end of this uh, end of September. And the other thing about it as well, Brownie, you talk there about the experiences for these young kids, but you have been passionate. We've had, we've spent hours, we have whittled away many an hour talking about youth here, the youth grassroots, the talent that is in these shores and on these shores and the outlets and the opportunities that these young kids need. And you are someone like me who holds that rather dear. This is an opportunity for them, isn't it? This is an opportunity, not necessarily to put themselves in a shop window, but just to test themselves against the best from other parts of the world. It's exactly that, Chris. It's it's understanding the standard that you, is required to yeah. play at that level. Um, and until you you go and uh, you know you you might think you're a, a good player in in Dubai, but until you venture out and you go to the, the big footballing countries, you don't realise the intensity of the football at those young ages and the quality of the you know the technically, physically. So it, it's pitching yourself against the very best and seeing where you stand. And if there's an opportunity for, for young players here, um, you know, there's, there's been quite a few, um, to to get in that shop window, as you've said, there will be, I mean, I hate the word scouts in terms of, you know, trying to sell the dream, but what there, I've already been, I've already been contacted by, you know, the likes of the City Group um, across the, you know, they've got eight or nine clubs now, haven't they? Yeah. Um, by Paul McLaren, who, who works at the club there and, you know, interested in coming and, and seeing what's on offer. Late March of 2021, is this going to be something that you think will be be able to be attended by spectators by then? I very much hope so, Robbie. Um, you know, uh, I mean, by that time, we'll be seven months away. Uh, I really hope so, otherwise uh, we're all in trouble, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's a good point. Yeah, it absolutely is. We're getting a lot of messages in on this, Brownie, and one or two, and it's a fair question to ask, we talk about the professional clubs, what about academies here? Is this going to be open? Is this an opportunity for perhaps kids who are not affiliated with an Al-Wahda or a Sharjah that are maybe part of private academies here? Can they play their part in this? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. So the, un- the only age group is, is actually for professional representative teams um, is the under 14 age group so you've got the under 12s the under 16s under 18s but also within that under 14 age group like I say there will be eight teams from this region um, so you know I, I have already have four um, private academies from from Dubai who've registered for that for that uh, um, you know age group Okay, anyone listening to this, what's the best way to go about contacting you to express an interest if perhaps they have their young kids, their academies, their private academies, keen to sign up and find out more, Brownie? What's the best way to do just that? They can go to themeanacup.com um, or they can contact us on Chris at themeanacup.com. Yeah, and Mina Cup is M I N A, the Mina Cup. Listen, Brownie, bless you, my man. I'm excited for it. I think it's a wonderful idea. And if we can start something of this ilk, and I know the Gothia Cup is many years down the line, but a Middle East footballing festival, it's got me excited, is what it has. Chris Brown, always a pleasure, my man. Best of luck with it. We will track the progress of it very closely. And we look forward to catching up very again uh, with you again very soon. Cheers, Brownie. Thanks very much, Shep. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure catching up with Brownie. We need him back on a Monday night is what we do. That Mina Cup, grand designs, I said it, on becoming the leading youth football uh, tournament right here across not just the UAE, but across the GCC as well. And when you've got the likes of PSV Eindhoven, Leicester City, you've got Liverpool, you've got Rangers. It's an exciting little future. It certainly is. It certainly is for Brownie.
Uh, Andy's been in touch. He says, I don't think or hope that Messi will leave. His time with Barca has placed both him and the club and the excellence of successful football. Were he to leave, it would only tarnish his image and those uh, and this so close to his retirement. Does it tarnish, Rob, his reputation um, or his image if he leaves? No, I don't think so, depending on the manner in which he leaves. I think. Uh, if anything, if he goes on to be successful, does it not? underline or at least enhance his legacy I think so I think if he were to go to the Premier League I think if he were to star in a Manchester City team that dare I say it wins a Champions League or wins the Premier League again I think that that would that would underline the, what we all suspected for a long time that he it doesn't he's kind of league proof because yeah. um, a lot of the accusations on him has been that you know he's always played for a team with incredible individuals that has revolved around his particular style and that has been easier on him than, say, Ronaldo, who's moved from three different European leagues and had success at Manchester United, Real Madrid, and now Juventus. So I know Andy's a Juve fan. Um, perhaps He's Andy keen. wants him to go <laughs> pair up with Cristiano Ronaldo. But I think that, yeah, I, I think what would what would sour the, the situation or perhaps potentially tarnish his legacy is if there is this long, drawn-out saga with Barcelona, a court case... Lawyers involved. At the end of the day, he's given so much to the club, yeah. and the club have given him so much that I hope that if he really is set, if his heart is genuinely set on leaving, and it's not just well, it doesn't look like a power play anymore. That's for sure. It certainly looks like he does want to leave. Then I th then I hope that they manage to reach a resolution, and that both parties are able to get what they need to get out of it. I'm totally with you on that because it would be unedifying. It, you it know. would. I mean, it's just, he is Barca. He's, 34 trophies, 634 goals. It's going to be odd seeing see. him in a different shirt because you just feel that like he is just, he is Barcelona and has been since 2007, really. It's insane is what it is. Now, I'm conscious of time. We've got about 60 seconds, Rob. I can't quite believe we've not talked about John Ram's putt. Oh. 70 feet. If you've not seen this, by the way, I, I think Fad messaged in on last night's show. We never actually got round to it. Probably the one of the most extraordinary ends to a golfing tournament that I can recall. The only other time that I can recall in golf where a putt like that has been so decisive, and this didn't even win the tournament, but it was Costantino Rocca, 1995. <laughs> he holed a putt through the Valley of Sin to tie John Daly and force a playoff in the 95 Open Championship at St Andrews, which Daly went on to win convincingly. I cannot think of another, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I cannot think of another putt of that kind of length, of that kind of difficulty. It broke about eight feet left to right to win a yeah. tournament. And less of all in a playoff. Given the fact that DJ, Dustin Johnson, had actually sunk a 40 foot to force yeah, the playoff. Yeah, maybe they should keep crowds away from golf if we're going to get serve, I mean, served up with this kind of action. Because yeah. the golf action has been great. You've enjoyed it. For golf fans, uh, it's been, uh, obviously the crowds have been missed sorely but perhaps not as much as they have in other sports. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, by the way, do jump on YouTube. Even if you don't like golf, you can appreciate 70 feet. And Ram's reaction Ram. as well. Oh. Whether there was a crowd there or not, that man was pumped. He was pumped. He certainly was, Rob. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.